How is everybody doing this morning? Yeah? Uh, well, you can tell uh, we've done a couple things with the sanctuary. We're trying to attract a little bit younger of a crowd, maybe too young, but it's okay, right? There's a healthy balance. It'll be good. Um, uh, thanks so much for coming. Uh, we are glad. You guys having a good summer? Yeah, yeah. yeah good summer so far? Yeah? By, by the end, by the way, I don't know if you guys noticed, we may have some beach balls at the end of VBS for people. Just putting it out there in case you need a beach ball. We're not, we don't really have a plan on what we're going to do with them after it's over, so might be surprised next week, tons of beach balls. But it's going to be good. Uh, that's starting this week. It's too late, I think. I don't know, but I think it's closed. Um, if you want, maybe we'll make a way if you really want to come for the little guys. Cool. Awesome. Well, we are starting a new series uh, this week. Didn't you guys think, by the way, didn't you guys think Joey and Rick did a great job the last couple weeks, right? Wasn't that awesome? I thought they did awesome. That was Joey's first time, right? Ever, ever, I think, ever. So I loved it, man. Can't wait till we get to do it again. But um, today we are entering a new series called Faithful Still. And uh, we're actually going to be going through the book of Ruth. Don't know if you've ever read through the book of Ruth. Um, if you have not, stay with me. We're going to pretty much go through most of it. Um, but what's neat about this story is it is a story, but there is a greater story that it's a part of, right? And it's actually a story that each one of us play a part in, whether we realize it or not. Um, in this story, as we read, I won't point it out to you, but I'm just going to kind of tell you the template for it. But uh, we'll see providence, we'll see redemption, we'll see a conversion. But I don't know if you guys have ever had those things happen in your life. Usually before those things happen there is some type of disaster, right? Some type of something that happens ugly, uh, some kind of dark situation that happens before those, those things come on the scene. Um, I used to own a uh, landscaping and construction business. I've talked about it <laughs> previous times. Uh, but usually uh, when I would be talking with the client, right, I would be explaining about all the things I'm gonna do and then at the end of the conversation, right after we kind of agreed that the project was gonna move forward, I would let them know, by the way, when I leave today, everything is gonna look like a disaster, okay? Everything is gonna look really ugly. I'm gonna probably rip all your landscaping out, out front. I'm gonna destroy your entire house. Uh, but don't worry, hang on, something amazing is gonna happen after I put it back together. It's gonna look beautiful, when it's all put back together. Uh, but I only did that after they agreed. This story, the book of Ruth, is similar to that. It does start in a very dark time. It starts, um, and the scene is very set up. We'll go through the whole scene, but it's very set up in a, a disaster type of scenario. And my goal today is for us to try and, for me to help to try and insert us into this story the best I can. And one of the ways that we're gonna do that is we're gonna pay attention to the details. How many of you guys are detail-oriented in here? Okay, good, I am not, so I'm proud of you. Um, Old Faithful, anybody ever been to Old Faithful? That's kind of what that picture is. Uh, but Old Faithful, uh, it, it's close to Montana. We've been to Montana as a, as a family, my, my wife's family. We all uh, made a trip out there years ago. And 
One of the things that you go when you go to Montana is you go to Old Faithful. We stayed in a, a place called Grasshopper Valley. It's a part of the Lewis and Clark expedition. It was really neat. About two hours and 54 minutes roughly on the highway to get to Old Faithful, okay? And so we had rented this big van, and like we always did, wherever we went, and uh, we rented this van, and then we set out for our destination. But before we did, we actually ran into some locals. Anybody ever run into locals when you're out of town, right? And we asked them, you know, like, kind of tell us, like, what's the best way to get to Old Faithful? And one of the things that they told us was, okay, instead of taking the normal way that you already have all set out, take the dirt road down yonder, okay? And so we took their advice. They said, yeah, you'll go past Black Swan Lake, and you're going to see these black swans and all of that. Well, that's amazing, right? It was really cool. The only difference was is it was on an extremely bumpy road, okay? And we had her 87-year-old grandmother in the vehicle with us and her sister who was nine months pregnant, all right? So it was an adventure, right? Her feet looked like Shrek by the end of the journey, um, we had to elevate them in the middle of this van, and, and there was no restroom, so you can imagine restrooms, what do you do? I'm not going to explain it, but you had to figure it out, okay? And so we saw Black Swan uh, Lake. We barely looked at the swans. We were so done with the situation. By the time we got to Old Faithful, we had driven almost five hours to get there. We got out. We watched Old Faithful take off, and we're like, all right, are we about ready to go? Because this was ridiculous, okay? Anybody ever been there? where you maybe didn't get the details. There was no GPS back then. You guys, you know what GPS is now. You push it on your phone. Siri, tell me where to go, right? There was none of that. So you actually had to get the details before you went on a trip. Anybody ever heard of the devil is in the details? Anybody ever heard that saying, right? Um, the devil is in the details is an old 1800 saying, and it, it got changed in the 1960s. I don't really know why. I don't know if there was a book or a movie. or I didn't study about it, but it changed in the 1960s. It used to be God is in the details in the 1800s. Okay, in the 1960s, it switched to the devil's in the details. Um, and I'm going to take, take it back today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say God is in the details, and we're going to go through the book of Ruth, and I want to point out some different details. I want to highlight multiple things that I feel like are important in this story um, because it kind of, the devil is in the details, it kind of connotes the, the idea that it's really important to pay attention to the details. Like what we should have done is we should have gone to the gas station and looked up a map and seen if that was the right way instead of taking the locals' advice, right? So it starts, and we're going to go through, we're gonna go through uh, just the first chapter. I'm going to hit six details in this chapter, and then next week you guys are going to see, amazingly, I'm going to go through three different chapters next week. But this week we're gonna, only going to go through one. It starts in the book of Ruth and the first chapter and the first verse, okay? It says, in the days when the judges ruled. All right, so the first detail I see is that this is the book of Judges, or it, it's right, the story is set right in the middle of the book of Judges, okay? And if you know anything about the day of Judges, right, that's the first detail, is that um, the day of Judges was after Joshua had entered into the promised land, okay? He uh, tried to encourage the people of God to follow the Torah. 
Well, he passed away, and then um, the, there was different tribes that were set up. There was 12 tribes that were separated. They tried to assign different tribe leaders, which they called judges, and those judges were responsible for making sure that people followed the Torah. They were try, trying to make sure that people didn't fall into sin, but there was continually a cycle where they would encourage them, uh, they would fall into sin, there would be repentance, and then they would get them all back on track, only um, ever pointing to the fact that we need a savior. Um, so that was the book of Judges. That's where this scene is set up. It's a dark time. It's a hard time. Um, if we continue in verse 1, it says, there was a famine in the land. Okay? So the second detail I see is that not only is there's a book of Judges um, that the scene is set up, but there's also a famine. So a famine, if you know anything about a famine, it means shortage. It means scarcity. It means lack. It means want. Under supply, poverty, drought, unavailability. Now, if you've been on this planet for the last couple years, you probably maybe have heard some of those words. Shortage, scarcity, lack, want, unavailability, right? Um, but maybe you don't identify with some of those. So I'll give you a couple more words that maybe you can, you've heard over the past couple years. Recession, hard times, loss, tragedy, Disappointment. Anybody ever suffered with disappointment in here? If not, don't be disappointed. You will. You will. <laughs> you will be disappointed at some point. But verse 1, we're going to go back to verse 1. It says, And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. All right, so I have a map. See if I can get that map pulled up. It is a map of Bethlehem, and it has Moab, and basically it gives you the description of their little journey, but it starts off in Bethlehem, which is the, it's known as the city of bread. Okay, that's the translation. And we know it, we know Bethlehem as the, the place where the bread of life came from, Jesus, right? And so this famine happens basically in Bethlehem. The city of bread runs out of bread. And so they leave and they go to Moab, okay? Um, they leave with their family. Elimelech and, and Naomi leave with their two sons, Malon and Kilion, and they move to that city. Uh, the third thing I see already starting in these first few chapters is a family, right? That's what the, the third detail I see is a family. Uh, the first person in the family I see is a husband. His name is Elimelech. That's a wild name. Uh, my God is king. Uh, the second person is Naomi. It means pleasant or delightful. Uh, first son is Malon, which means weak or sick. The second son is Kilion, which means tired or dying. Now, they obviously weren't trying too hard when they thought of these names, right? I don't know if it was what they were going through. You put the two names together, and it actually means sick and tired. And so maybe they were thinking future-wise when the kids become adolescents, and they could say, I'm sick and tired of you not listening to your mom. I'm sick and tired of you not taking the trash out. I'm just sick and tired of you kids, right? Maybe that's what the plan was. I don't know. Let's continue. Verse 3, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. 
They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. The two sons marry Orpah and Ruth, and the name Orpah means gazelle, and the name Ruth is pronounced root, uh, and if you know it, it still is pronounced that in, in different languages today, uh, which means friendship. When Ruthie and I were first dating, right, my wife's name is Ruthie, if you don't know that. When Ruthie and I were first dating, I wanted to rename her Root and just go with what everybody else called her, <laughs> right? And that way, if we were having trouble, I could say, well, you're the root of the problem, <laughs> right? So I went with Ruthie because that means live long and prosper, and then we're still here today. Got it? Everybody's like, is he being serious? Ah, we'll leave that. Um, so I decided to go with Ruthie because of that, but Orpah and Ruth are both Moabites. Now, if you know anything about Moabites, I'll give you the quick uh, tale there. Uh, Moabites are descendants of Lot. Lot left Sodom and Gomorrah with his wife and his family. Uh, Sarah turned around, turned to the pillar of salt, or not Sarah, uh, Lot's wife turned around and, and looked, at the salt, or looked at the Sodom and Gomorrah, became salt. Okay, then... Uh, the daughters were nervous about not keeping family within the family, and they uh, had an incestuous relationship with their father. Therefore, the first son that they had was Moab, okay? That, that created uh, the region of Moab, and that's where Moabites come from. That's why Bethlehem looked at Moab, and they stayed away from them. They kept them out of the temple. They believed all these different things. So it's wild. This story is set up in Bethlehem. It's wild that they all got married, and it's wild that um, this is all connected. And I'll come back to that next week a little bit more, but I felt like that detail was important. So, so far in this story, not a single word has been uttered, right, by any character. Nobody said anything, but the author like wanted us to see specific details laid out. The story really hasn't begun, but you can see that what the last 10 years have been like for Naomi, right? All of the men died, and Naomi is left with Orpah and Ruth, and you can see so far the landscape is looking pretty ugly. It looks pretty rough, and it looks like a disaster, okay? We're gonna run through the rest of this, but at verse six it says, then she arose with her daughters-in-law, to return from the country of Moab. And she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Verse 10, it says, uh, so, so far, she's trying to shoo them away, if you guys are, are understanding what's going on. She's trying to push them away. She wants them to stay in this uh, region of Moab because she knows if you follow me, I don't have anything to give you, right? I don't have any more sons. I don't have anything, and you're going to be better off if you stay in this city, you're, you're going to be recognized as a Moabite, and you'll be able to remarry if you stay here. Verse 10, it says, and they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? 
Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the Lord or that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. We've heard this at a lot of weddings, right? For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be or my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will uh, be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything, but, but death parts me from you. So the fourth detail I see is she had nothing to give, okay? She had nothing left to give, and that's why she's pushing them away. Naomi had nothing to offer that would benefit Ruth, no money, no food, no more sons. And what's fascinating to me is that the, that the daughter-in-law, right, decided to cling to Naomi, she said, I'll go where you go. I'll lodge where you lodge. Even if it's at the Okano Lodge, I will be with you no matter what. Right? She said, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Now, why would Ruth make such a promise to Naomi? And I want to tell us today, right, as believers, that even in your darkest day, right, there is enough light in you and I to light a whole city on fire. It's really true. Like, when, when people look at you, they will see the consistency of God. They will see his faithfulness to us, whether we can see his faithfulness or not. Joey said a couple weeks ago, right, that the world is looking for authenticity. People see God's faithfulness to us even when we can't see it. Uh, good news, God's faithfulness isn't based on our circumstance, attitude, or our mood. Isn't that good news? God's faithfulness isn't based on our circumstance, our attitude, or our mood. I used to think that God's faithfulness was fully dependent on that, fully dependent on my attitude and how I was acting towards him and if I was listening to him and if I was obeying him and doing all the right things. But I want you to know his faithfulness to us is not based on those things. For instance, Naomi's worst day, Ruth abandoned her own life to follow Naomi's God, right? Ruth could see that Naomi's God was an oasis. You know what an oasis is, right? Uh, it's a place like in the middle of the desert where there's water and all the good things that you could be dreaming of, and that's where they are. They're in the middle of this desert-like situation, and Ruth sees something in Naomi's life that she desires. How many times as believers do we go through a difficult season and we're afraid to let it show? Anybody ever been there where you're afraid to let people know or you're afraid to let the world know that you're going through a hard time? I used to have a lot of people ask me like how I'm doing and I always felt like I had to say, I'm good. I'm doing good. I'm good. I'm so good. I'm blessed, right? Anybody ever been there? I am blessed. And I was sometimes having the worst day of my life. But I was afraid that people were going to look at my life and what I was going through and just think, well, I don't want to serve his God. But I found that the more true I am to what I'm going through and how my life is doing, the more people want to know the God that I know. Scripture says that when we are weak, he is made strong. Even in our imperfections, people can see an authenticity that's attractive. 
right? Like even when, I, I, I want to encourage you, even if you are going through your hardest thing that you've ever gone through, I want you to know that the God that we know, the God that we follow, the God that we serve, people will begin to look at that and be attracted to your relationship with the Lord. Verse 18, it says, and when Naomi saw that she was determined to go, she, she saw, she saw that she was determined to go, uh, it says, with her, she said no more. Sometimes we just need to not say a whole lot, okay? Sometimes we need just to let people see what's going on, and when they're determined to follow our God, that's good. So the two of them went on until, until they came to Bethlehem, and when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women, uh, and the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Uh, the fifth note, or the fifth detail that I see is, is a name change. It's a name change. Naomi Tamara. Now, she didn't say, call me Nene, right? She didn't call me, call me Omi, right? She didn't say that. She said, call me Mara. It's not a it's not a nickname. She didn't want to be called pleasant or beautiful anymore. She didn't want to be called something that she was called from her birth. She wanted to change her literal name. Have you guys ever um, studied about like Iceland and Greenland, right? I know it's kind of a funny thing to compare, but Iceland and Greenland, right? And uh, when I was a kid, I remember learning about Iceland and Greenland, and the Vikings named Iceland and Greenland those different areas, right? And the reason why they did that was to deter people from going to Iceland and to push them to go to Greenland. And I believe that this is a similar type of scenario where she wanted to name herself a different name because she didn't want people to look at her as an oasis. She didn't want people to follow her. But what I love is that Ruth saw past the bitterness and knew that Naomi served a God full of hope. Naomi's disposition was exposed, and instead of saying she was blessed and highly favored, she leaned into it, right? Uh, I was going to tell a story about Lucy. Does everybody know who Lucy is in here? Lucy Bunn, if you don't, you got to get to know her. Where's Lucy at? Give me a wave. Okay, so uh, probably a couple months ago, roughly, um, uh, Lucy was going through a hard time. Her, her son ha uh, was going through all sorts of things, having to get surgery, and it seemed like time after time she was getting bad news after bad news after bad news. Some of you guys were aware of some of those things. Um, and I remember one of our staff went over to go check on Lucy, right, to see how she's doing. And one of the things that she responded with is, I'm mad at God right now, right? And I loved, I loved that. I actually loved it because um, she was being honest with where she was at. And I know I've been mad at God in times past. I know I've gone through things where I'm like, man, I'm mad at God. This doesn't make any sense in my life. I'm done with it, Right? She told me this morning, she said a couple, you know, a couple weeks later, God talked to her and, and kind of just said it was okay because you were going through pain. And I, I think that's what's going on here with Naomi, too, is she gets, a, she gets an excuse, right? And all of us get an excuse, and I want you to know God can handle it whenever we're mad at him. <laughs> like the billboard says, God's not mad at you, but look, what we should say is, and you can be mad at him for a minute if you want to as well. He can handle it. He can shoulder when we're upset at him. 
She said, I have nothing left to give, yet Ruth saw a promise in her and in her God. And I remember there was a time when I was younger, um, I was in like high school, and my mom, she worked at a uh, telemarketing company. She didn't make much at the time, and she was, she, people saw something in my mom that they wanted to know her God. And my mom didn't, was poor, okay, according to our, our, what we would consider poor in America, right? She didn't have much. Um, but people saw something in her that they were fascinated with, and it, I, I believe it was God's faithfulness. It was God's favor on her life. Didn't mean she had everything that she needed, right? It didn't mean that she was doing all the right things or saying all the right things. In fact, my mom is the only person I've ever seen be able to light someone else's cigarette with her cigarette and lead them to Jesus in the same time, <laughs> right? Still impressed with that to today, right? I'm not kidding you. I could not tell you how many people she led to the Lord with a cigarette, lighting other people's cigarettes. And you're like, well, that's, that's ungodly, right? Look, whatever you want to call it, they were coming to know Jesus. I don't care, right? And I saw that as a teenager. I thought, she's got something all these people want to know. She's got something that they want to know. And I want you to know, Naomi had something that Ruth wanted to know. Verse 21, it says, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Oftentimes when something goes wrong or when we get into a bad spot in life, what do we do? We blame God, right? I know I've been there. What in the world? I remember a couple years ago, I was like, God, what is going on? I close my door, go talk to him by myself, right? Have a nice conversation. But have you ever had a dream that didn't happen? Anybody ever had a dream that didn't happen? Like you, you thought that where you were at in life it didn't go the way you planned it, <laughs> right? My question today is, is, is God faithful when those things don't happen? And is he faithful when they do, right? Naomi changed her name to Mara, which means bitter. And she went from pleasant to bitter because she was only relating bad things happening in her life to God. She was like, this is all God. Verse 21, it says, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. The last detail I have here is that she didn't, though. I know it's a funny point. She didn't, though. She didn't go away full because she left Bethlehem empty-handed. They left because of a famine. They left because things were tough where they were at and hope for something good in the future. Right? It was the place called bread that had no bread. Rick talked last week about perspective. I, did, I had this already written in my notes, so it was really cool, but he talked about perspective last week, and perspective, right, is so much about what life is about, I think, right? Alex Zanardi, everybody knows who that is? I don't either. Uh, once you put everything in the right perspective, even bad times can be an opportunity to refresh your appetite and your desire. Uh, maybe you know this person, Bob Ross. Does anybody know who Bob Ross is? I might have a picture of him. It says, it's the imperfections that make something beautiful. That's what makes it different and unique from everything else, right? He always says, like, what, like little mess-ups, they, they become happy trees. And I remember the other day, I went into my office, and my kids were in there, and they had destroyed my entire office, like destroyed it. And I was 
flustered and frustrated and papers were all ripped up and they wrote all sorts of things, right? And then they, they spilled candy all over my floor and all of the stuff. And I found myself like, like pulling things up and putting things away and I was really frustrated and I felt like the Lord just kind of said, Shh. you ever had the God just go, Shh. That's, I think that's how he talks sometimes, like, Shh. I just felt like there's, there's gonna be a time where they're not messing up my office, right? And it changed my whole attitude. It changed what I was, how I was acting. It changed my perspective. And all I had to do was just think about it for a second. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. Have you guys ever heard that saying? That's like super secret saying. I'm just letting you know. The grass isn't always greener. In fact, the grass is greener when you decide that it's greener. It's because it's fully based off of your perspective. Why call me Naomi, I'm going to continue, when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of a barley harvest. Harvest shows a change in tide, right? A change in season. Verse 21, it says, it said that the Lord had testified against her. He didn't, though. He didn't testify against her. Verse 22, it says that the harvest was happening. So my question is, was the Lord really against her or was it her perspective? Was he really against her? Was he really trying to prevent a harvest from happening? Because all it was was she just moved and all of a sudden God wasn't against her. My question is, was that to me, clearly God is faithful when we are mad at him or not. God is faithful when we aren't seeing the outcome we want. I remember when I was fresh out of Bible school, like 22, right, and I wanted to go into the ministry. Like, I was like, I got to go into the ministry. You went to Bible school, that's what you do. You go into ministry, right? And I moved to Ohio to go work for my wife's family, um, and they started me from ground up, right, which I think is how it should work anyways. And they started me from ground up, and when they put me there, they put me in charge of picking up people's trash, Okay, and I mean like construction workers, all sorts of gross things. And uh, so I would go around and I'd pick it up. To, I mean, and it was rough because sometimes I would be, I'd have it all picked up, I'd throw it away. And then I would look, I'd watch a construction worker look at me and then throw it out on the ground. Like literally look at me. And I'm like, seriously, like put it in the dumpster, okay? Um, but I remember being frustrated with it. And one of my mentors, one of my father-in-law, he came to me and he goes, Matt, he goes, I have a word for you. Whenever somebody says that, I'm like, oh, shoot, here we go. I got a word for me. I don't know what it's going to be. Um, but he said, Matt, he said, sow where you're planted. He said, sow where you're planted. And he didn't know what that meant for me. It meant, I mean, I, I went away kind of frustrated because I was like, sow where you're planted. Of course I'm going to do that. But I kind of switched my perspective. And I remember just getting to the point where I would just sing and throw things away and have a good time. And I began to plant into a field that I was not excited about, right? And I believe if you can learn the art of contentment and planting in a field that you don't want to be in, right, that God will give you a harvest greater than you can imagine. Really, he will. And even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, guess what? You learned the art of contentment, <laughs> right? And that's the toughest thing. I'm going to close with this story. Um, when we went to uh, Old Faithful, right, to go see Old Faithful, 
I remember uh, thinking that it was gonna, we were going to see, like, buffaloes and, like, there was going to be elk and all these things. And then there was going to be this, like, old faithful that was just out into the field, right? And we pulled up, and there was bleachers, like, with every kind of tourist you can ever imagine on these bleachers. And then there was a timer up where they had it specifically timed to where Old Faithful was going to erupt, right? Um, I think they have it down. Yeah, they have it down to 74 minutes. Okay, it used to be 66. There was an earthquake in the 50s. But 74 minutes, and there's 20 eruptions a day. So in the last 100 years, there has been 730,000 eruptions at Old Faithful. Okay, last 100 years. And the funny part about that is whether we're in Montana, which we're not in Montana right now, there is going to be 20 eruptions happening today, okay? And whether we're there and we're still not seeing anything, there's still going to be an eruption, okay? It's going to happen no matter what. And I believe that that is how God is, is whether we can see all the good things happening in our life or not, he's still faithful, He's still working. There's still something going on that we can't necessarily see, even though we're believing God for this, or we have this dream, or we want to see these things happen. I believe that he is still faithful, even when we don't see it. Amen? Amen. Well, let me pray for you guys, and uh, we're going to continue next week, uh, closing up with Ruth, and... um, Hope, hope you enjoyed it. I've enjoyed studying about Ruth. Again, if you get into it, stay with me. Um, we'll, we'll go through it next week. But Father, we thank you, God, for today, God. We thank you, God, for your love. We thank you, God, for your faithfulness, God. And uh, I don't know if anybody's going through anything this morning, God, but I just ask that you give them rest, God. You give them peace. Uh, maybe their mind is in turmoil. Maybe their mind is thinking about why didn't this happen or why hasn't that happened, God? I just speak peace over them and I declare uh, just a comfort and just maybe, God, you're working things out, God, for their good. And I know that you do have good things in store for us. We trust in you. We love you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.